Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. Um, before we get started, I do want to just to say a couple of things. First of all, I want to begin by saying thanks. I know that Thanksgiving is, is over, but I don't want to miss the opportunity to still take a moment to just stop and say thank you. I am thankful to be here. Um, I am thankful to be a part of this church. I'm thankful that a little over a year ago, you invited me to come and be your pastor um, and I'm thankful for your prayers. <laughs> Thank you. Thankful for your prayers, for your patience, for your grace, um, for your support, for a friendship along the way that's growing and continuing to grow. And I really am grateful and thankful for the fact that I get to partner with you and we get to partner together in the mission that God has called us to as South Hills Church. And what's exciting is God is at the work, and he's at work in your life, he's at work in my life, he's at work in this church, he is shaping us um, to be his servants. And so I'm grateful for you, and I'm grateful that we get to do that together. Now, like I said, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to say thanks, and that I'm thankful, and thankful for Ron. Let's hear for Ron. <laughs> he's our new tech support, so thank you, Ron. <laughs> grateful for you. Um, we are, as you can tell, turning the corner towards uh, celebrating Christmas. And next week, we're going to be starting a new series where we really, truly will be looking at the significance of Christmas in preparation for um, all that that means. But before we go there, we do want to, I want to just stop and make sure that we um, wrap up the series that we've been going through on the life of Moses. And so if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks or so, you know that we've been working our way through the life of Moses, and today we are going to end on the high point of Moses' ministry, his ministry as a, as a servant of God. It really comes down to his mediation ministry uh, between God and his people. It's the high point of his ministry, and really Moses steps in as a mediator, and this is really, really um, so remarkable. And in fact, it's so powerful what Moses does and what we see him do. It's actually going to lead us really well right into the communion table. So if you're here and you didn't get one of these cups, by the way, and you, you want, we want you to participate in communion, if you're watching online, we are going to participate in communion today. Um, so we don't want you to miss that. We have those available in the back of the, of the, of the room. But today we get to celebrate communion because it, it, what we see with Moses and his service as a mediator that helps us recognize our need for a mediator and what that really means for us. A mediator, that's an important term. It's an important word. A mediator is someone who stands in between two parties who are in conflict. Um, and perhaps you've been in a spot where you've been in a relational conflict with someone and you've thought to yourself, man, I don't know how we're going to be reconciled without some sort of mediator, without some sort of mediation. Someone who could stand between me and that person because there's conflict there and we don't know how it can be resolved without mediation. That's the concept. Mediation happens informally. Um, every parent has had to mediate if you have more than one child, right, or cousins or whatever it is. Every parent at some point has had to step in between two conflicting children, and had to step in and be a mediator. Maybe that happened on your way to church this morning. See, it happens all the time. Um, but we also see that formally as well. We've seen mediation take place in a legal sense um, where there's just the need for someone to step in between two opposing parties. And this is what Moses does. He steps in as a spiritual mediator. God has been shaping Moses to be a servant, 
But it's here at this point where, where God's really saying, but are you really, really willing to serve no matter what it takes? And that's where we see Moses really, truly step up to be the mediator between God and his people in a very, very powerful way. And like I said, leading us right into this communion time. Um, but before we look at Moses as the mediator, let me just give a little bit of background um, to lead up to the passage we're going to look at today. If you may remember, uh, God delivered the people, his people, the Israelites, out of slavery from Egypt, and they're brought out of slavery, they're delivered, they're taken to the Red Sea, they cross the Red Sea, and God is bringing them ultimately to the promised land. But before he takes them to the promised land, he brings them to Mount Sinai, where at Mount Sinai, God then gives the Israelites the Ten Commands and a whole bunch of other laws as well to help prepare them to be his people in the land that he had promised. And the laws that God gave, not just the Ten Commands, but he gave laws on worship, on social justice, uh, on many, many things. All these things, they've been, given, they've been given to the people. And at that point, Moses brings all the people together. And he, he basically, he comes to them and says, are you ready to commit to all that God has asked us to do? Are you really, really ready to commit yourself to God's law to be his people as we head into the promised land? And I want you, I want you to see their response. It's found in Exodus 24. This is their response in verse 3. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice. Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Isn't that a wonderful statement? But eh, not so much, right? If you know the story of the Israelites, pretty much nothing that God said did they do, right? They ended up going their own way. They ended up rebelling. And we see that happened immediately after the, all the laws given. After the Ten Commands, the laws given, God uh, sends Moses up to Mount Sinai. And um, it's there that he's going to get the Ten Commands written as a seal of the, of the com commitment that they're making, um, the, the kind of a, an agreement that's going on. These are the Ten Commands. And Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, and he's there for 40 days. Well, 40 days is a long time for some people. And what happened is the people were like, wait a minute, God's gone, and, and Moses is gone. And, and they do this a crazy thing. See, they think, we do this too sometimes, by the way. Um, 40, 40 days may not feel like a long time, but can be a long time. Because when God doesn't work on our schedule, we give up on God. And that's what they do. They're, they're looking around saying, man, Moses has left. And, and God certainly has probably checked out on us too. So they turn to Mo, Aaron, Moses' brother, and say, hey, will you make us a new God? Because Moses is gone, and, and, and God's probably checked out too, so make us a new God. So you know the story. Uh, they get all the gold together, and um, they make a golden calf, and the, the people of God um, give themselves over in worship of the golden calf. Now Moses, who's now coming down from Mount Sinai, on his way down from Mount Sinai with the Ten Commands, he picks up his aide, Joshua, on his way down. And as they get closer to the camp, they hear noise. And Joshua's like, I hear the sound of war in the camp. And Moses, who's much more spiritually discerning, says, nope, I hear the sound of defeat. And certainly, as they get down to the people, they see the people had given themselves over to the worship of a golden calf. And it's at that point that Moses takes the Ten Commands. You may remember, he, he gets so angry, he breaks them. And um, then 
uh, he disciplines the, the, the people of God. He reprimands them. But then after that, after this scene, um, that's all happened in, in Exodus 32. Then Exodus 33, the most interesting conversation takes place between God and Moses. And it's in this conversation that God says to Moses, you know what? I'm done with the people. I promised that I would take them to the promised land, and I'm still going to get them there, but I'm not going to lead them. You'll lead them. I'm, my presence will not go with you. Instead, I'm going to send an angel to go and lead the people into the promised land. Let me, let me show you where this takes place in Exodus 33. I'll, I'll show you the conversation here. It says this in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land of, um, I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you along the way. Now, (laughs) does that sound like a parent or what, right? (laughs) Now, here we have this incredible moment. You're like, I didn't even know God said that. But yes, God said this. You're like, what is going on? Well, God is holy and just. And this is a stiff-necked, rebellious, obstinate people. And God's presence cannot be in the presence of sin. So he's like, if I go with you, it may not go well for you. So guess what? I'm sending you with Moses. I'm going to be faithful to my promise, but I'm going to send an angel to go with you. Now, at this point, this is where Moses really steps up. God has been shaping him to be a servant. But it's at this point that, God, that Moses really steps up between, to be a mediator between God and God's people. Uh, God, God who's holy and just and the people who are sinful and rebellious. They need someone to mediate. And it's here that Moses steps up in, before the Lord and to be the mediator of the people. And he has this conversation with God. He says three things in, in Exodus 33. He says, God, show me your ways. We need your ways. We need you to lead us and we need you to guide us. And then he makes another request. He says, God, we can't go without you. We don't want some junior varsity angel to lead us into the promised land, right? We want you, God. We want you to lead us into the promised land. So don't send us if you're not going to go with us. And then Moses makes this very bold request. He says, now, God, show me your glory. That is, God, I want to see you. I want to know you, who you are, and because you're the one that we, that we need to be looking to to guide us and to lead us. God, as Moses steps in to be the mediator, makes this an incredible response then back to Moses um, towards the people, of course, based upon the merits of the mediator. Let me show you what God, how God responds. In verse, uh, chapter 33, verse 17, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. So Moses steps up to serve. He steps up to mediate. And God says, based upon you, Moses, your merits, and pleased with you, I know you. I will do what you asked. And he, he, he says, I will lead the people. 
And so then he sends Moses back up to Mount Sinai to get a second set of the Ten Commands, and it's here where Moses gets the most incredible encounter with God, the God who he's calling out to to lead them into the promised land. That's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 34. Let let me look at it. Let's look at it together. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 34. If you don't have your Bible, um, you can follow along in the handout that you received on your way in here, um, but we're going to read it, and we have it printed. Uh, we'll have it up on the screens as well. So let's stand in honor of God's Word, and we'll read this passage and you'll, this incredible encounter between God and Moses. Verse, uh, Exodus 34, beginning verse 1 through verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, you dope. I just added that myself. (laughs) But you see, there's a little statement there. You can tell. Okay, verse two. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks and herds and may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up um, Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness, our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Okay, go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at it together. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So this is the second time, by the way, Moses is going up to Mount Sinai. The first ones, we already know, he broke. Um, But God had chiseled out those stones. God had made those. The second time, uh, God says to Moses, it's on you. You get to chisel out the second set of stones on your way up. And so there's a message there to Moses. Um, You see his anger problem crop back up again. Uh, but God is gracious to him, says, but he still says, you're going to be doing it this time. But what I want you to see at the same time is that God still wants his people to receive his law. That God still is interested in his people knowing his word. And so he sends Moses up a second time because it's critical. He wants to be known. He wants, God's, he wants to lead us and guide us with his word. And so he's going up a second time to, with the stone tablets to receive God's word. And it says in this passage, by the way, in verse 1, that it says, And I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets. Now, a little bit later, you'll see that it says Moses wrote. And so the question for many people is, well, which is it? Did God write on it? or Moses? And the answer is yes. You will say, well, wait a minute. Did God write or did Moses write? The answer, again, yes. God wrote it. 
but he wrote it, but Moses wrote it. See, all Holy Scripture, by the way, is inspired by God, but written by a human author. And so God's Word, God's Holy Word, it is fully divine, 100% divine, and 100% human. That's, that's, the, that's the amazing thing about God's holy word, that it's his inspired word through the human author that's writing. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, how would, I, how would we know that, make, how do we make sure that we know that it's, it's not just someone writing something and saying God inspired me? How do we know? Well, when there's many, many remarkable evidences for the, um, the, uh, the authentic, authenticity of, the, of Scripture, and many evidences that help us point to that it is God's word and it stands above any other word. But among the many evidences of it, I just want to point out this reminder to you, this reminder of this. The Bible is composed of this, 66 books written by 39 authors in three different languages over the span of 1,500 years over three continents. And yet it has one consistent message. There is no other book like it you can see it is divinely inspired because it has a consistent message. And when you look at the, the variation of authors, the variation of time, that it has a consistent message, you're like, oh, clearly. And it has not been edited. It has not been rewritten. This is God's word, fully divine and yet fully delivered through human authors. It's a powerful thing. So I just point that out. It's so powerful because, again, Jesus is also uh, fully God and fully human, which is very powerful. Then verse 2. Um, be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. So he's saying to Moses, hey, listen, I'm sending you back up. Go back to the top of the mountain. Um, Present yourself to me there. And so Moses, I I don't know if he got much sleep that night, but he's ready to go. He gets up early in the morning. He goes up to the top of the mountain. Verse 3, no one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So the point is, hey, Moses, this is just you. I just want you, Moses, the mediator. You're the one that's going to stand between me and the, the people. So only you are going to be coming up onto the mountain. Verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones, and he went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. So he chiseled out the two stone tablets, and he makes the hike up the mountain, and I'm thinking the entire time he's hiking up the mountain with those stone tablets, he's saying to himself, I will not break these tablets. I will not break these tablets. I will not break these tablets. Just as a little bit of a reminder, it's like, okay, I don't want to be in the same spot. It took some work to get these things chiseled out. I don't want to break them. But he does what God has called him to do. He, does all, he, he follows all of God's instructions. Verse 5 says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. So Moses goes up to the mountain, and it's here that God presents himself to Moses. And this is a remarkable thing. It says that God came down, that is, God stoops down um, to present himself to Moses here in this moment. And, and this is an amazing thing because in the previous chapter, by the way, I mentioned this, the previous chapter, God, Moses made this incredible, incredibly bold prayer. He said, God, show me your glory. I want to see you. And God says to him, no one can see my glory and live. But he does say, but I will show you my goodness. That is my character, who I am. He says, I'm going to pass by. You can't see my face, but I'm going to pass by so you'll, you'll see my back. And the question is, well, what does God's back look like? I don't know. 
It's not described here. In fact, no part of what God physically looks like is described, but who God is is definitely described. And that's what we see. It says he proclaims his name, verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. Um, that is his personal name, Yahweh, Yahweh. I am, I am. That He exists in and of himself. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So here, what I want you to see again is that God passes in front of Moses. And what Moses describes is not what God physically looks like, but what God is like in his character and nature, because that's what's presented to Moses. And in fact, that's probably the most helpful thing for us anyway. Not what God looks like, but what God is like is more helpful for us to know. And here in this passage, um, we see a list of seven attributes of God that are given. And they're powerful attributes that's described to God. And in fact, this, this statement of who God is, is repeated throughout the scriptures 20 different times. This is a very, very important statement about the character and the nature of God. And this is what's presented to Moses. Here's who I am. You wanted to know who's leading you, who's guiding you, who has been your deliverer, but also who's going to be your provider for the future. It's me. Let me show you who I am, what I'm about, my nature and my character. And it says in this passage that he's compassionate and gracious God. He's compassionate. That is, he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, that he's gracious. That is, he shows us mercy and kindness when we don't deserve it. It's part of his nature. He's a gracious God. He's slow to anger. Don't you love that? He is slow to anger. Amen. Um, This may be one of the most important things for you to know when it comes to um, who God is and what he is like, that he's a patient God, that he's slow to anger. And maybe one of the most important things for you to hear about God is this simple statement, that God is not like your dad. Because many of you, many of you grew up in homes where dad was angry, where it was just any given moment, God, sorry, dad could just explode. But I want you to see here in this passage that, that God is not like that, that he's patient. He's slow to anger. It's not that he's incapable of anger. He is, but he's patient and he's slow to anger, not in any given moment ready to just explode on you. And for many of you, that's just important for you to hear because of your background or your history or certain interactions, because we sometimes project what we have experienced on who God is. And what we need is a very clear picture of who God is and say, God, will you help me to then reflect that in my relationships? And here we have um, God is slow to anger. How powerful is that? He's abounding in love. That is his chesed love, his faithful love. That's who he is. And he's his faithfulness. That is he's true to himself. He, um, even if we deny God, he won't deny us because he's faithful. He's true. That's who God is. It's part of his nature. It's part of who he is. Then verse 7, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Maintaining love to thousands. um, Go ahead, back, go back. Maintaining love to thousands, that is um, short for um, really thousands of generations, that his love abounds and abounds. You can see that in Exodus 20, uh, verse 6, if you're a note taker, where it talks about how his love is maintained for thousands of generations. And then forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, that he is a forgiving God. 
And forgiving is just, I wipe, I'm wiping these things out, wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That he's a forgiving God. How powerful is this, these statements of who God is? And the thought is right now, okay, God, stop right there. That's good. These are all wonderful attributes of who you are. Why don't you just stop there? We'll just soak it in and, and head home, and that'll be really fantastic. But he goes on. In the rest of verse 7, I want you to see it. it says this, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And what I want you to see here is that God, yes, he's gracious and merciful and loving. And he sees us and he, he puts his love on us. That's who he is, his nature. And yet at the same time, he does not ignore reality. He doesn't ignore sin, that he's a just God. Yes, he's merciful, but he's also just In fact, if God was not just, he would not be good. And we need both things to be true, and that's true of God. And when we look about that first statement, it says, says, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Many of us think to ourselves, yes, I want that from you, God. I I want to make sure that the guilty get punished. I want justice. We long for that. And again, if God isn't just, he isn't good. And we, we long for the justice to take place. You ever been driving along the highway and you, all of a sudden you, from nowhere you have a car just right up on your bumper flashing their lights? You ever had that moment honking? And you're like, what just happened? They're like right up on me. And they're like, they're about to hit you and they're bumping. And all of a sudden, you're like, they're, you're just like, okay, I got to get over. So, you know, but you're kind of flustered. So you work your way over, but it's not fast enough. So they whoof, swerve around you, give a little gesture of love on their way around, cut you back off. You're about to, you know, feel like you're going to crash. And then all of a sudden you just see them sit there for a minute just to make a point. And then they take off and it's swerve, swerve, swerve in and out. Is your blood pressure rising at all in, that, in those moments? Now just imagine with me that you continue to drive down the road for another, you know, five to ten miles, and all of a sudden you see that car again. But this time they're not trailing someone's bumper, but someone is trailing their bumper with flashing lights. And they're being pulled over. And they're getting a ticket. When you drive by, are you thinking, Man, I really feel sorry for that guy. No. You're like, yes! Justice is served. You think to yourself, yes, there is a God. You ever had those moments? There is a God. Justice is there, and it's served. And we love it. We love justice. Because those who who are at fault need to be brought to justice. Now, we love it when it's other people, don't we? That's pretty satisfying. But when justice turns and looks at us, we say, oh, no, 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 I want mercy. <laughs> the cop pulls you over. You're like, oh, I was just, you know, it was just a really bad day. And I, I just needed to get someplace really quickly. And all these idiots on the road, they're just in my way. So, you know, show me mercy, right? That's what we want in those moments. But the other people were like, give it to them, right? Get them, get them, get them. That's how we feel. Now, here's the deal. God is just. And we have to recognize that. And not just for other people, but for ourselves. And this is the sobering reality that, that, that we need to come to. Yes, God is merciful, but yes, God does not ignore 
certain realities either. And we have to be very, very aware of that. Then he says he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You're like, what is that all about? And some people take this to say, well, you know, because my my great-grandfather was a shoplifter, that's why I'm having a really bad day, right? No, that's not why you're having a bad day. It's probably because of your own (laughs) actions that you're having a bad day. Um, we can't blame other people for our problems. In fact, in Ezekiel um, 18, 1 through 4, you can read about it. It talks about how we are all held accountable for our own sin. That's important for us to get. But at the same time, it's not difficult for us to document the fact that um, sin can be repetitive. And if we hold on to our guilt and our sin and we don't address it, it can be repeated. And we see this. We see that broken homes can lead to broken homes. We can, lead, we can see how alcoholism can lead to alcoholism, that drugs can lead to drug addictions. If you're raised in, a, in an angry home or a judgmental home, that's what you've learned. And so you see how that could be carried on, carried on. But here's the good news. The good news is this, that it doesn't have to go to generation to generation. In fact, it could end in your generation through the work of Jesus Christ. He can transform you. He can forgive you. He can break the pattern in your life, in your family's life, when you turn to Him. That's the good news. But the reality is there, and that's what we have to see. So then, verse, the next verse says this. Okay, after all of this, after God reveals Himself to Moses, merciful and just, what is, how does Moses respond? Look at verse 8. It says this. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. When Moses had God pass by him, and he hears, and he sees, and he understands the nature of God, what's his response? Worship. That's what worship is. When God reveals himself, we respond, and we respond in worship. My favorite definition of worship is this. It's responding to all that we are, to all that God is. Responding to all that God is with all that we are. That's that seeing Him in his, with clarity and saying, God, I just have to worship you. I give you my life. And this is what, this is what Moses does. He says, I get a clear picture of God. I'm going to worship. You've been out in nature. You're like, wow, isn't it amazing? You, there's worship there because, God, you're revealing the beauty of your creation. Ah, worship. I bow before you. You are your God of the universe, creation. He sees God. He hears God. He worships. He lays himself before him. Then verse 9, he steps up to be the mediator again for his people. Notice what he says. He says this in verse 9, Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. So he says, hey, listen, God, if you if you found favor, if I found favor in your eyes as your servant, as a mediator between you and the people, then please lead us, guide us, let the Lord go with us. Then he makes this statement, although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Moses recognizes, God, we need you, but we also need to come and confess that we are sinful, rebellious, and broken that you are a God of justice and that your presence can't be in the presence of sin. We recognize that. We confess it. But I'm going to appeal to your mercy and say, God, will you forgive me? Will you show me your love and give your love to your people? He steps in. And based upon, again, the mediation of Moses um, stepping in um, for his people, God says, yes, I'll lead you. I'll guide you. 
I'll forgive the people. I'll lead them to the promised land. Isn't that amazing? Now, wouldn't it be great if we had a mediator? Someone who could stand between us and God. When we're sinful, rebellious, when we're wicked, when we go our own ways and we're in conflict, there's opposition. Wouldn't it be great if someone could stand in the gap and be our mediator? Here's the good news. We have that in Jesus. Isn't that good news? What Moses did for God's people, Jesus does for us. In fact, in the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Moses. See, God says to Moses, I'm pleased with you. But God said to Jesus, this is my son, who, am, who, I'm, in, who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. What it means to be a Christian is to recognize that Jesus is God's son, and to listen to him, to follow him. See, Jesus is our great mediator. He's the one that is greater than Moses, who has come to stand between the, the, the gap between a holy and just God and a sinful and rebellious and wicked people, which we find ourselves in. In fact, in, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes this about Jesus. It says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. God is holy and just. We're sinful and broken. Jesus came and stood between the gap. He gave his life. He is the ransom. He paid the price, the penalty for our sin, the justice that God demands. Jesus says, put it on me. So that through Christ's work on the cross, his death for our sins, we could be made right with God, that we could be brought back into a, a right relationship with him, we could be, we, we can meet, be meet reconciled to God. This is what Jesus has done for us. One who has come greater than Moses stands as the mediator for us all. And this is the power of, 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 of Jesus and what we come to in this, this communion table time. It's a reminder for, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ that we come to God not based on our merits, but we come based upon the merit of our mediator who stepped in to take the punishment for our sin so that by his grace, we can come before the throne of God. Amen? If you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've, hit, you've crossed that line of saying, I know when I come before God, it's not because of my merit, my goodness, what I've done, but I identify with the Israelites where I've rebelled, I've done wicked, I've gone my own way. I, re- I identify with that. And the only way for me to get to God is through Jesus Christ. If you are here and you've placed your faith in Christ and recognize you need a mediator, this communion table is for you because it reminds us that Christ gave his life for us so that we could have eternal life with God. If you're here and you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, I want to invite you in just a moment as we pray to place your faith in him, to turn and put your trust in him, not yourself, not what you've done, not something else, but to put your faith in in Jesus, the one who stands in the gap, who took the penalty for you so that you could have life. Let's take a moment and let's pray together. In this time right now, as we come before the Lord, this is a moment just between you and God. And if you're here and you recognize 
your own pain and brokenness, that there's a distance between you and God, and you can't solve it on your own, this is a moment for you to bow before the Lord and say, I need a mediator. This is a moment for you to say, Jesus, I trust in you, the one who stands between, the one who gave his life as a ransom to pay the penalty for my sin. I trust in Jesus and what he has done. And I want to receive that forgiveness and life that you offer through him. If you're here and you've, you've already placed your faith in Jesus, this is a moment for you to simply say thanks and to remember his work on your behalf. That because of Jesus and his mediation on your behalf, you find freedom, forgiveness, and life. Take a moment and thank him for that. And prepare your heart for this time of communion. God, we do thank you for your gift of your son, Jesus, who gave his life for us. And Lord, as we come to this communion time, Lord, we want to just say thank you. And we, we want to take it as a moment for us to worship you like Moses did, bow down before you because of your goodness, your grace, and your mercy, a God who's holy and just and merciful and loving at the same time. God, we thank you in your name. Amen.